Hey, wish someone a Merry Christmas before you're seated and then kind of settle in for our Christmas devotional today. So for those of you maybe brand new to Journey, first time ever in our building, welcome. My name's Christian. Uh, I'm one of our pastors and we're really glad that you are with us for just a little bit of your Christmas celebration with maybe a family um, or a family member or a friend who brought you today. So in 1961, a Soviet astronaut by the name of Yuri Gagarin became the first human being to leave the planet and then come back to the planet. Uh, in 1961, he popped through the atmosphere in the race to space as the first Soviet to go to space. He orbited planet Earth for an hour and then he came back. And the Soviet premier at the time, Nikita Khrushchev, because he wanted to uh, boast that Russia, the Soviets, had won the race to space, but he also wanted to share the Soviet worldview with the world, came out in a news conference and said, we have made it to space. And when we arrived, we found it empty. No one was there because there is no God. That was the announcement of the first person who ever went to space. We've made it to space and we found that it was empty. There was no one there because there is no God. The world media went and found a retired professor in England and they asked him to comment on that statement. It was a man whose wife had died a year earlier. He would die a year later. He was in the last year of his life. He was an atheist who through his study of science and reason had become a Christian and had written books for more than two decades, helping the world understand who Jesus was. And they asked him how he would comment on Khrushchev's statement. And this retired professor, a man named C.S. Lewis, wrote an essay that would kind of spring all the way around the world that basically summarized his thoughts on the matter this way. Lewis, as he often did as a skeptic turned Christian, said, if there really is a God who really did create the heavens and the earth, and the people on the heavens and the earth so that he could live in relationship with them. If that is a story that's really true, then we would not expect that that God would need people to travel to him to see him. We would expect that that God would travel to people and reveal himself. And that is the message of Christmas. That the reason we are able to understand who God is, how God loves, what God desires from us is not because we've been able to search for him and find him, but because he came to us as a baby at Christmas and through a life lived on earth revealed his heart and his will and his ways to us. That is the Christmas story that I wanna share with you today. I'll be reading from the Christmas story in Luke chapter two. So in our Bible, two different men wrote and told us about the Christmas story. Their names were Matthew and Luke. If you happen to bring a Bible, you can turn in your Bible to Luke chapter two. Most people do not bring a Bible to a Christmas service, so everything I read will be on the screen. If you wanna take notes, there's a little outline in the bulletin you were handed. Most people do not take notes at a Christmas service, but there are many at a Christmas service because grandma made them come or they wouldn't get their Christmas gift. If you're wondering, when's this thing gonna be over? Pull out the notes page when the last blank is filled in. We're almost done. So that, that will help you, at least if nothing else, know how close we are to the end. The Christmas story is not a story that began on December 25th. As a matter of fact, almost every scholar agrees that Jesus was not born on the evening of December 24th or the morning of December 25th. More than 100 years after the birth of Jesus, the Christian church decided they needed a date where they could, as a 
Christian church globally celebrate the birth of Jesus, so they picked December 25th. He was probably born maybe sometime in the spring or fall. It would have been too cold in the winter for shepherds to sleep outside. And Christmas also wasn't just a one-day thing at Grandma and Grandpa's. The historical Christmas, the biblical Christmas, was actually three different events. We celebrated as three different events that happened at three different places over the course of uh, two different years. So I just want to kind of set up the original Christmas for you and then tell you where we're going to jump in the text today. The original Christmas story began in a stable in Bethlehem. Like what you know is the nativity scene, um, that, that actually happened. Jesus probably born in a cave, not a stable. I've been to the shepherd's caves in Bethlehem. Um, they kind of look like dugouts that are kind of sp- pocked into all the hills that kind of rise in the Judean desert, probably born in a cave, probably placed in a water trough, not a stable. Um, But the shepherds showed up and the angels showed up. That was like event number one was Jesus being born in Bethlehem. Event number two was 40 days after Jesus was born. Turn to someone next to you and say 40 days. Now turn to someone else next to you and say, don't forget 40 days. We're going to have a test during this message. It only has two questions. The answer to both questions is 40 days. So if you remember 40 days, you're going to get 100 on your test today. 40 days after Jesus was born, his mom and dad go to Jerusalem and they spend a little time in the temple. That's part of the Christmas story that we study. And then two years later, Jesus is in Bethlehem, but he's back in a house and we read that the wise men came to visit him. So the historical Christmas, three events, three different places over two different years. We celebrate a long morning in America, but the big Christmas story is much more than that. And in America, we may celebrate even the biblical thought of Christmas, that it is the story of God coming to us. But even in the biblical story, there's something much deeper than just a baby coming from heaven. Because as we read in Luke chapter 2 today, we're going to reveal some things inside us that, that church history says God has planted in us. There's a concept in church history called the Imago Dei which means that humanity was created in the image of God and there are things inside of us that attach themselves to and only find their fulfillment in who God is. As we read through the Christmas story, I think you will find that you have implanted in your soul the Imago Dei and perhaps the answer to your Christmas this year is understanding that Jesus is not just supposed to be a part of the world, but he's supposed to be a part of your world. If you're taking notes, you'll see the first thing that we're gonna read today is Christmas is really the story of divine desire. And it's a divine desire that all of us have. If I could get real specific, I would say we're going to read this, that Christmas is a story about a divine desire for change. But if I could get even more specific, I would say the Christmas story is a divine desire for change for the better. Some of you um, come to the end of 2023 and you have a desire that 2024 would be better. Uh, Better for your health, uh, better for your marriage, better for your kids, um, better in your job, there's this dissatisfaction in your soul that like if there is a God and he's good and he knows you and he sees what you're going through, like things should be better. Believe it or not, that, that may be a desire placed in you by God. Let's read the Christmas story of divine desire. We, we meet a man named Simeon and we read what he was looking forward to. It says, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. How many days after Jesus was born did this happen? All right, so you're one for one, which means moms, hopefully, right? We're talking six weeks. Um, hopefully Jesus and Mary were both sleeping through the night by this time. Like that would, that would be the goal for young parents at six weeks. It says, as it was written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male, their first son, is to be consecrated to the Lord and offer a sacrifice keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. The way you'd say thank you to God for your first son would be to go and present a gift, in this case, two pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon 
who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. So journey meets Simeon. He's a man who was waiting to what I call RIP. We read he was waiting to RIP, but just so we're on the same page, when I say RIP, you think I mean, yeah, that is what I mean, but it meant something different to him. He was waiting to rest in peace, but that did not mean that he was waiting to die imminently. Because in the Israeli culture 2,000 years ago and in the Israeli culture yesterday, rest in peace means something different than it means in the American culture. One of my first trips to Israel, we have a few ministry partners in Israel as a church. We try to go see them about every 18 months. Hundreds of people from our congregation have toured the Holy Land and ministered to our ministry partners there. One of my first trips into the country, on Saturday I was coming down the elevator to go eat a meal, and I realized that almost every Israeli family, lots of Israeli families, every Friday night, Saturday, go spend time at a hotel with like extended friends and family. Like every Saturday is like Thanksgiving Day there, every Saturday. Um, And I realized they were all greeting each other with the exact same greeting. They were all saying the exact same thing to one another, but I couldn't quite make it out. So finally, I asked our tour guide as we got kind of through the food line and heard everyone talking to each other. So he said, they're saying Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom. I said, what does that mean? And he said, it means rest in peace. And I said, and nobody is upset by that? And he's like, no, why would they be upset by that? It's like, well, in America, you only say that to someone who's dying or like who is dead. That's not like a formal greeting, rest in peace. And he's like, well, as the people of God, remember Israel believes they were birthed as a nation by God. He said on the Sabbath, Shabbat means Sabbath, Shabbat Shalom, Sabbath peace. He said, every Sabbath we remind ourselves because we are the people of God that no matter what's going on in life, we should be at rest and we should have peace. And he said, why in America would you wait until someone is dead to wish that they could have rest and peace? And I said, that's a great question, bless you. Um, he's like, I, was like I, yeah, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know why we would do that, but it is not a greeting that we share. I wanna challenge you, next time you send someone a birthday card, end it with happy birthday, RIP, sign your name and see how they feel. <laughs> Paint it on your kid's cake and see how the rest of the parents respond at the birthday cake. Like, if you got a thank you card that at the end said RIP, you would think someone was coming to kill you. It's just not how we do it in our culture. Why would you wait till someone is dead to wish that they would rest in peace? It's just something about our culture that maybe makes us think we can't be at rest or have peace until we're done. But a divine desire has been planted inside of us I think to have it in the midst of anything, to be at rest and to have peace. So I think it's important to see that this desire is something that Jesus wants to bring to your life. I think it's important to realize that Jesus has really important value for your life, not just your death. I think too many times we talk about Christianity being the thing that people need for after they die, RIP, instead of being the thing that people need while they're alive, rest and peace. We know that Simeon was hoping for this in life, even though he didn't believe he deserved it because it said he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, it's interesting for those of you maybe not brought up in the church or not spent a lot of time in Bible study. um, So the word Bible is a Latin word that doesn't mean book, it means library. So like this is not really a book as much as it's a library of 66 different books. First 39 of them, we call the Old Testament. They were written almost completely in Hebrew, a few chapters in Aramaic. 
The, the second half of the book is called the New Testament. It was written in Greek. And there are so many different English versions of the Bible. It can be confusing. So a lot of times you go see what the Greek said and say, what, what was he really talking about? What does the word consolation mean? In the Greek language, it's a word that means comfort, encouragement, or solace. It's, it's what you show someone who's hurting or just needs someone to be kind to them. And we actually understand that a little bit because for those of us who have played sports, if you've ever played in the consolation game of any tournament you've ever played in, it means you were not good enough to win the tournament, but they wanted to be nice enough to give you a trophy. So they're like, oh, you can play for the, lose, like the loser's bracket. Consolation game is you know, good enough to get a trophy, but we know it's nice to give everyone a trophy so you can be third place. But no, like, nobody cares. Nobody puts a third place picture up in the school. Like, that's the consolation game. Consolation is what you have not deserved or earned but what someone feels like you need. Simeon knew that he, as a God follower, living in a God country, did not deserve what he knew he needed from God, but he believed God was gonna give it to him anyway. The only difference between the consolation of Israel and the consolation game of a tournament is God doesn't give you what you need because he feels sorry for you. He gives it to you because he feels love for you. And the message of Christmas is that some of you have a desire for next year to be better. This word consolation means that God takes things that have been going wrong and he like turns them on our heads so they go right. Some of you, you need to begin to invite Jesus into your life so that the things that are going wrong can begin to go right. One of the things that consolation means is bringing hope into misery. Some of you, if you were to be really, really honest, 2023 has been a miserable year for you. Inviting Jesus into your life at Christmas is bringing hope to this misery that you've been going through. One of the ways that consolation can be translated is when things are going all wrong, it's someone who can make sure that you're all right anyway. Some of you have gone through something in 2023 that has been so all wrong. In 2024, your situation is not going to change. You're not even asking God to make things right. You're just asking God to make you all right so you can get through the next year. That is the divine desire God's planted in us. And it's not something we have to escape the universe to find. It's something that's right outside the door of our heart if we will let Jesus into our story. Christmas is a story of divine desire. It's also, number two, a story of divine appointment. I love this point of the Christmas story. Christmas is a story of divine appointment. Look at verses 26 through 30 as we continue in Simeon's story. It said it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That's a Hebrew word that means Savior. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when his parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. So last Christmas break, one of the family events that we had with my wife, Danielle, my son, Christian, my daughter, Casey, is we went to blade and timber to throw axes. Anyone done the axe throwing thing? If you want to feel like more of a man than you are, go throw an axe at a wall because when it sticks, your testosterone raises like three levels. It's like, wow, I'm, like, I'm a real man now. I just threw an axe that stuck in a wall. It's fascinating. Um, while the kids were throwing axes and I was kind of at the back table waiting my turn, I was scrolling the news on my phone and an article popped up that said, Christmas message mix up. Uh, that's, in, that's interesting, I'll bite. Clicked on the article, and here was the article from Christmas of last year. There's a medical research labs company in England that wanted to send out a Merry Christmas message to the 8,000 patients that they were currently running blood work on in their lab. So they sent someone to the computer and they typed in, we wanna wish you a very Merry Christmas from our lab to your family. They hit send, but they forgot to click send the new message 
So they inadvertently sent the last message in the queue that had been sent to one person to all 8,000 people having their blood work tested at the time. And that message said this, we're sorry to inform you that you have aggressive lung cancer. Please begin the process of filling out the paperwork for terminal patients. <laughs> yeah, it's like, whoops. Um, I don't know where you're from, but where I'm from, Merry Christmas, sounds the exact opposite of you're dying. Uh, but like, that's the message that was given to them last year. What's crazy about Simeon's story is Simeon's story gave us both messages. Simeon's story was basically this, Merry Christmas, I'm dying, but I'm good now. You say, why is that? What we read is that Simeon was physically terminal, but he was spiritually trusting. Like, was he sick? No, he was human. And I'm not sure if you've processed this yet, but the human condition is a terminal condition. There's no one in this room who believes they'll be alive 500 years from now on, like, on planet Earth. The physical condition is terminal. Yet in the midst of this, he had decided because his great-grandpa died and his grandpa died and probably by this point his dad had died, like it appears that he was very old and ready to die at the same time, but he knew that God was gonna make an appointment with him. His thought was, okay, I, I know I'm not gonna live forever here, but I serve an, etern an eternal God, so at some point between now and when I die, God will re have, have to reveal to me what the plans for the next life are. So he'd been waiting for this divine appointment, knowing this life will end, but I don't think my life will end. I think I'm eternal. God's gotta show me what's going on. And then in Jesus, he's like, finally, I see the real thing. Merry Christmas, I'm dying, but I'm good now because at least I know what's gonna happen after death. Physically terminal, but spiritually trusting. If we were to continue in his story, he would then say this, and this message of salvation is not just for me, it's for everyone. And then he would say this, and it's not just for religious spiritual people, it's like for all people from all walks of life. And then he would say, it's not just a message you hear in good times, often it's the message you hear in the worst of times. Simeon had a divine appointment to see his salvation. But what's crazy is apparently that's not stopped happening. Because last week in this auditorium right down there, a dad and his two young kids were baptized. And the dad shared his story with friends and family who were here. And as I heard his story read, I thought, that's the Christmas story. That God is still keeping divine appointments. I hate to stand on a stage and read to you, but I think this story's worth it. Here's this dad's story from last week. I was raised Muslim by my father who was an imam, which is an Islamic preacher. As a child, I did what I was told by my father, but I had no personal interest in following the religion and I only practiced when I was around my dad. When I turned 14, my father moved back to the Middle East. I stopped practicing Islam and was without any religion in my life for several years. During this time, I had people in my life attempting to bring me to Christ, but I rejected them. I was far too intelligent to believe in these types of fairy tales. My brother-in-law would tell me that one day Christ would reveal himself to me in a way that would be undeniable. And in a moment when I would be receptive to it, I would treat that concept with mockery and dismissiveness until it happened to me. Four years ago, I was at a low point in my life. I'd just gone through a terrible event and was under tremendous stress and pressure. I was in a very dark place and a very hopeless place when a random stranger approached me at a gym I was visiting. He said, hey man, this is gonna sound weird, but I feel like God or the Holy Spirit wants me to approach you. He asked me, do you have any pain in your body or in your soul? Or are you going through a hard time right now? 
I confess that I was going through a hard time, that I was in fact probably in the lowest moment of my life. He asked if he could pray for me and I said that he could. He grabbed my hand and began to pray. He prayed for my well-being and for this burden to be lifted from me. And instantly, all the pain and anxiety I was feeling seemed in that moment to leave me. The despair was gone. My heaviness was removed. I felt light and hopeful again, almost childlike. I wanted to explain it as just a coincidence, but I could not. What I felt was real. It was undeniable. I knew that I needed to seek Christ. My wife and I began attending churches, and it took us three years to find Journey. We've been attending consistently for a year now, but it was only a few months ago when I realized what I needed to do. I needed to repent. It's a word that means change direction in life, very specifically change from living for myself to living for Jesus. I asked God to forgive me of my sins and my wrongdoing. I asked him to guide me towards redemption, to help me lead my family, to reveal my purpose in this life. Since this moment, it seems like everything has changed for me. I'm happier, more patient, more focused, less distracted. I'm a more successful father, husband, and employee. I feel that once I place Christ as the top priority in my life, everything else fell right into place. Every part of my life seems easier. I feel like there's no challenge that I can't overcome. I want to be able to spread this feeling to everyone who's living without it. The fascinating and hopeful part of this message is not that his father was a Muslim imam. It's that his spiritual father made a divine appointment at his lowest moment and said, I got you. I see you and I'm here. I don't know if you did the math in the story. It took four years from that moment of divine appointment to a moment of surrender. And I need, I need Jesus. I can't do it on my own. But God is still making divine appointments. And I believe some of you are here today because today is your divine appointment for you to finally surrender and say, I just cannot do it on my own. I need help that is beyond me. Some of you today is not your divine appointment, but today is your calendar reminder. Because maybe four years from now, you're gonna find yourself at your lowest point and you're gonna remember that guy in Kansas City on the stage saying that at your lowest point, you can turn to God and he'll be there to catch you. Christmas is a story about divine appointment, which is why number three, Christmas becomes the story of divine hope. Let me introduce you to one more character of the Christmas story and then we'll close and take communion together as families today. It says in verse 36, there was also a prophet, her name was Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So Journey, you've met Simeon, now meet Anna. She is a picture of spiritual hope in the midst of a sad life. I have sad in quotations because it was not supposed to be her destiny. It's interesting, four guys wrote uh, stories about the life and ministry of Jesus who was Jewish. Um, Luke is the only one who is not Jewish and he wasn't writing to Jewish people. Yet he gave us some worthless information unless we're Jewish or something about the Jewish faith matters to us. He told her what tribe or what family she descended from and it was the tribe of Asher. The only reason I can believe that he did that is because the name Asher means happiness. And he wanted us to know that this lady, Anna, whose destiny was supposed to be happiness, had life kind of throw her a curveball and her destiny was sadness. And yet, she managed by staying close to God to live a life that was fulfilling and to live a life that had rest and had peace. Some of you 
wish you were destined for happiness, but life has thrown you a little bit of a curveball and you feel like now you're destined for sadness. Anna gives us two great, what I call assignments. The first assignment of the Christian life and the forever assignment of the Christian life that I wanna give to you before we close today. The first assignment of the Christian life is to do what Anna did. It said not only was she at the temple night and day, but it said from the temple when she saw Jesus, she went and told everyone, you need to know who Jesus is too. I don't know if you know this, if you're a follower of Jesus, but your first assignment once you become a follower of Jesus is to tell the world, I love Jesus, I just want you to know who he is. You can't convert anyone, but you can tell everyone in your life, I love Jesus, I want you to know who he is. We actually do that in the church through an ordinance called baptism. It is the first assignment that every Christian has once you become a follower of Jesus to be baptized, to tell the world, this means I love Jesus, this is what he's done in my life, and I just want you to know. If you watch the video before the service, you might have seen people and wondered, why do they have a bathtub in their church if people keep going up and down? And that's like a picture of baptism and what it is. You get in water, which symbolizes the cleansing of your sin. It doesn't forgive you, it just symbolizes what Jesus has done. You go under the water, it's a picture that you believe um, you've died to living for yourself and now you wanna live for Jesus and when you come out of the water, it's a picture of once I die, I am gonna live forever because of Jesus. It's just a picture of what's happened to your soul. And I believe every year, the largest gatherings of followers of Jesus who've not yet been baptized um, is at Christmas and Easter at churches like ours. A lot of people in the room that love Jesus Ask Jesus to forgive your past. You've asked Jesus to secure your eternity. You are planning at some point on getting around to getting baptized. You know you should do it, but you've not yet like got out of the starting blocks of Christianity. You've started the race you got in and said, I'm gonna be in this race of faith. I'm gonna follow Jesus. The gun has went off, but the first step of your race is supposed to be to be baptized publicly to say, I love Jesus. I just want everyone to know that. Some of you have not done that yet. So I've decided as a pastor, because I don't believe you can take step two until you've taken step one, and a lot of us haven't taken step one yet, is that I'm not gonna have any more Easter and Christmas services where I don't invite people to take their first step if they've not carried out their first assignment of their Christian faith. So at the end of the service, not now. At the end, not now. Turn to someone and say, not now. It would be weird if you did it now. At the end of the service, not now. If you've not been baptized, I'm gonna ask you to stand if you feel like in 2024, that's a commitment that you can make. Don't do it now, it'd be weird. Everyone's looking, so we'll save it for the end. But I'll get to the end of the service and I'll say, if you're a follower of Jesus who's not yet taken your first assignment and you're willing to do that in 2024, um, I'll have you stand. You say, why, why will you have a stand? Because you need to start practicing having courage. Part of baptism is telling the world, I love Jesus, I just want you to know that. If you cannot stand in front of Christians in church with courage and say, I love Jesus, how will you ever stand in the world in front of people who aren't Christians and say, I love Jesus. It's like the baby steps of your faith. So at the end of the service, if that's you, I'll have you stand. I told you now, so, if, so you have 10 minutes to figure out whether or not you're gonna do it. Some of you now will spend the first 10 minutes thinking, oh my gosh, will I stand, will I not stand? If I stand, what will they think? If I don't stand, what will they think? Like, so some of you, you're gonna be distracted the rest of the time, you're welcome, I'll hurry to the end and then I'll make it real clear what you're supposed to do. First assignment, get baptized. Um, our forever assignment. Keep letting Jesus into every situation. Stay close to Jesus in every situation. Had someone ask me after our service Thursday night, why do you think Anna lived at the temple every day for 84 years? I'd never had that question asked. I'd never contemplated the answer. So I thought about it all day Friday. Why do you think Anna lived at the temple every day for 84 years after she became a widow? And I've got a theory. 
I don't know that it's an answer, but I have a theory based on my own personal faith walk in 25 years of ministry conversations. I think the further Anna got removed from the presence of God and the people of God, the more the world around her and the more the voices within her said, you will never be anything more than a widow who's alone. I think the further she got away from the people of God and the presence of God, the world around her and the voices within her said, you'll never be more than a widow who's alone. And I think the closer she got to the presence of God and the more time she spent with the people of God, she heard from the people around her and the voices within her, you'll never be less than a loved child of God. You're always part of this family. You're always seen, you're always loved, you're always taken care of. Some of you in a hard 2023 have been trying to figure out what you can get out of so you can find rest and peace. What if it's not getting out of anything? What if it's inviting in Jesus so you can have rest and peace? Second question on our test, how many days after Jesus was born is this story? 40, 40. you got 100, good job, especially that young guy over there, 40. 40 is a number you find in the Bible a lot. It always represents a season, it always represents a bad season. Uh, 40 days of rain and night. Um, 40 days in the wilderness, 40 years in the wilderness. 40 is like this number. It's, it represents a season where God's doing anything, but the season's always a hard season. Uh, people like Noah have a 40. People like Moses have a 40. People like Elijah have a 40. People like Israel had a 40. Jesus had a 40. 40's hard. 40 is representative of a hard season, and I say that to say this. For some of you, 2023 has figuratively been the hardest 40 days of your life. 2023 has been the hardest 40 days of your marriage. And if you were to be honest, you're getting to the end saying, can rest in peace in my marriage only be found if I get out? Or should I let Jesus in? It's been the hardest 40 days of your physical health. It's just been bad diagnosis after bad diagnosis. And you're thinking, will I only find rest and peace when I finally die? Or can I have it even in the midst of the diagnosis with Jesus? It's been the hardest 40 days, the longest 40 days of your life in your parenting. You've had a child go from elementary school to middle school and they seem possessed with whatever middle schoolers are possessed with. And you're like, is 40, years, 40 days gonna turn into 40 years? It's like, probably, but after college, they usually come back. So just kind of hang on for the ride. Can I find rest and peace? Yeah, you can in Jesus. 2023 for Danielle and I, my wife, has been our hardest 40 days. It's been the most emotionally taxing, stressful 40 days, figuratively, of our life. In early February, her dad was diagnosed with cancer and nearly died. Um, they called the entire family to Houston to say goodbye, um, only because they started him on an experimental drug that they gave to him and the guy who had the same thing on the floor below him. And the doctor told us a day after he started taking it, the guy on the floor below, same disease, same drug, same age, he's gonna die. It looks like you've turned the corner and you're gonna live. Um, nine months later, after six months of chemo, he's cancer-free, thank God, but it's been a hard year. Her younger sister had a baby 18 months after having a stillborn baby. So every day of the pregnancy was anxiety, uh, worry, fear, stress, tears until the baby was born and it was healthy and Jen was healthy. Uh, we spent more times doing ministry overseas than we've ever spent before, a longer duration. It just made life hard when we came back trying to adjust. As a church, we sent some people out to Las Vegas to plant a church next year. And while none of them left, um, Jesus's church, they all left Journey Church and it was far more relationally painful than we thought it would be. It's kind of like tearing off a Band-Aid too fast. It, it hurt emotionally. 
as our church has grown, we've just had transition in life and family. We've had discussions this year where we said, man, is rest and peace, can it only be found in getting out? Or do we need to invite Jesus in deeper? Because man, it's been a hard year and I need more rest and I need more peace. Is the answer to get out? Or is the answer to invite Jesus in more deeply? Every time for us, the first answer was, let's try to press into Jesus and see if it helps. And every time it has. The answer is never to get out. The answer is always to invite Jesus in. I'm a uh, child of the 90s, graduated class of 96 from high school, uh, which means I was brought up in the friends generation. So uh, I took notice on October 28th when Matthew Perry was found dead in the swimming pool of his backyard, Chandler Bing on the popular um, show Friends, which my older sister can quote every word of every episode. About 10 days ago, his autopsy report finally came out how he died. Um, and he died of a ketamine overdose. It's like, what is that? So I just read some articles on ketamine. It is the, uh, it's the active drug they use to put you to sleep when you have surgery. It's the primary drug used in general anesthesia to put you to sleep. When it's mixed with the right things, you have zero emotional or physical awareness when you're on the drug. So they've begun to use it. They have IV clinics all over LA where people who suffer with depression and addiction can basically just go knock themselves out because it helps them escape from all emotional and physical pain. And he was self-medicating somehow. He took too much and ketamine did what ketamine does. Um, it knocked him out, but he had sat down in his pool first, so he drowned. Oh, man, what a sad story. Uh, they're now... Uh, because it's not FDA regulated, they're now coming against all these ketamine clinics in Los Angeles saying they need to be shut down. So all the doctors are speaking up about it. And I read an article just this week of a doctor saying, there's very um, little on the market like ketamine that allows you even for an hour to step outside of your physical and emotional pain. If we do not allow people to do this, how will they receive any help? To which I thought, for an hour? Like when they wake up, don't they go right back? Like. What do you mean, how can they reset? So because you give them an hour to numb, then when they wake up, everything's okay? There's gotta be a better answer than that. Christmas says the answer is not stepping outside of the struggle, but it's letting Jesus come into the struggle to bring rest and to bring peace. Some of Jesus' last words ever to planet earth were Revelation 3.20, where he said, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. If you would just let me in, I'll come in and eat with you and you with me. The, the picture of a meal was a picture of family, was a picture of togetherness. Jesus says like, I'm right at the door of your heart. If you would let me in, we can be spiritual family and you can rest and have peace. If today is your divine appointment to finally surrender and let Jesus in, I'd love to help lead you through that. If as a Christian, you've been trying to step outside pain rather than drawing closer to Jesus, Maybe today's the day you do that. If you need to be baptized, this is the point at the end of the service where you're getting real close. You got about three minutes to make up your mind before I ask you to stand. But as we close in prayer, would you just bow your heads quietly with me? Every head bowed and every eye closed, um, but hearts open. What has God said to your heart today? If you're here and today is your divine appointment to finally realize I can't do it without God, I need him. I have a desire for rest and peace. It's always been my hope. Today is my appointment. If today your heart has already decided that you need God, I'd love to lead you in a prayer that acknowledges that. It's not a prayer that changes your heart or changes your life. It's the spirit of God 
And that probably has already happened in this service if it's gonna happen. Not the eyes of your head, but the eyes of your heart are open to the new reality of a God who came down. And not just at Christmas, but today to be with you, to help you. If you've never experienced a relationship with God, never experienced his forgiveness, never experienced his peace or rest, but you believe he brought you here for that today, just tell him. The Bible says you believe in your heart, but then you confess with your mouth and you'll be saved. If you don't know what to pray, what to say, you can repeat a prayer after me. If it, if it is true of what you're feeling, you don't have to pray it out loud. Don't even have to move your lips from your heart to heaven. If this is what's happened in your heart this morning, just pray something like this, God, I realize I need you. Just from your heart to heaven, just repeat after me, God, I realize that I need you. So today by faith, which means I don't understand it all, but I believe in my heart, Jesus is for me. Today by faith, I say yes to surrendering my life to Jesus. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of my past. Heal me of the hurts that life has caused me and lead me into my future so I can become who you created me to be. Today, I repent. I'm not gonna live for me, I'm gonna live for you. I surrender. I open the door of my heart and I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. Today, I wanna follow Jesus. If you just prayed that prayer with me, Heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed. I'd like to pray for you. He said, Christian, how are you gonna do that? In a room this size, it's hard if you don't all tell me at the same time. So in just a second, I'll count to three. And if you prayed with me and you'd be okay with me praying for you while heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed, when I get to three, I'll just ask you to raise your hand and hold it up in the air for seven to 10 seconds based on how long it takes me to scan the room left to right and front to back. But man, I'd be honored if you would let me and our prayer team just pray for you this morning. If you prayed with me, could we pray for you on the count of three? If we could, would you just raise your hand and leave it up for about 10 seconds? One, two, three, just right now, just all over the room. If you prayed with me, can I pray for you? If you'd straighten your elbow up, that would help my 45-year-old eyes that don't see as good as they used to. I'm just scanning the room, almost from the very front row of my left side, all the way back through that section, all the way back to the overhang, literally on the last row on the wall, I see you. In this middle section, I see you. I'm scanning, keep your hand up if you would. I'm just kind of halfway through the room now. I just want to lay my eyes on your hand so I can pray for you. I see you, families together, large families together, kids, grandparents, mom and dads. Awesome, you can put them down. God, I pray for all these who raise their hand as an acknowledgement of taking a step towards Jesus and surrendering to following him. God, I pray three things for them. First, I pray that they will feel forgiven. I can't explain that, but I've experienced it and I pray they will too. I pray that they will feel the, that the burden of their past, their mistakes, their sin, that it'll just feel like they left it here. It's been forgiven, that they get to start over. I pray that they will feel like you're with them now, not in a weird way, but in a comforting way. Pray that when they go to bed tonight, when they wake up tomorrow, there'll just be this, aware, this God awareness that's like, just feel like God's with me and, and he loves me and he knows me and he's gonna help me. Lord, let them feel a God awareness. I can't explain that one, but because I've experienced it, I pray that they will too. And God, I pray that they will begin to learn the teaching and life of Jesus 
and that their heart will be drawn to become like him and to follow him. Lord, as they begin to understand what he said and how he lived, let it bring rest and peace to their life. Thank you for their surrender. Thank you for the divine appointment of today. Thank you for the courage to let me know. Bless them as they prepare to leave today. Now with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, if you're a follower of Jesus who's not yet been baptized, but you know in 2024, that is your next spiritual assignment and you are willing to make that commitment, would you just stand right now so I can pray for you all over the room? Heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed. I'll give you 10 seconds. You can just stand in every service. It happens like popcorn. It's slow and then kind of it fills up a little bit. I know there's a big crowd of you that need to be baptized. I'll give you five more seconds. Five, four, three. I'm a Christian. I need to be baptized. Two, one. God, I pray for all these who are standing. Thank you for their courage in this place for baby step number one of saying publicly, I'm a Christian. I want people to know. God, I pray that you will help them to work out the details and keep the commitment, Lord, of being baptized in 2024 as their first assignment to tell the world, I love Jesus, um, and I just want you to know who he is. Thank you for their courage to stand. Let it make it easier to sit and be baptized. You can go ahead and be seated. God, as we close in prayer, we thank you for the Christmas story. Divine desire, divine appointment, divine hope. That is Christmas, and we're thankful we celebrated it together today. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Hey, Journey, would you put your hands together for dozens of people who today took steps towards Jesus? All right, let me tell you how we're gonna close our service um, because we always close our Christmas services by allowing your families to take communion together on your own. In the bag that you receive when you walked in with your candle is a little two-in-one communion packet. Don't open it yet because your kids will spill it in the next minute or two. Um, it's got two parts to it. You take off the top little layer and that will pull out the wafer that symbolizes the body of Jesus broken for us on the cross. Then after you eat that, you can pull that little second layer back. It will reveal the juice, which will allow you to take communion. Don't do it yet. There's too many open. You're gonna spill it because I'm gonna have your families kind of gather up and say a prayer together and then do that. So hang on to that for just a second. Um, we wanna remember the most important aspect of Jesus is not that he was born as a baby, but that he was crucified, buried, and resurrected as a savior. And that brings us life. Jesus said, when you remember me, take communion. So we'll do that today. Um, for those of you who made spiritual decisions today, a couple things we're gonna do. As your family takes communion, if you had a child or someone who looks like they're less than 12 who raised their hand while our prayer team was praying for you, they were watching you. At some point during your communion, they will come up very reverently and they'll just hand you a bag. Mom and dads, if you will take this green card, fill it up and drop it off at the Connection Center, we're gonna give you this book called The Character of God. Our prayer is that your kids have questions about God and Jesus now that they've made a spiritual decision, but you are the ones to answer those questions, not us. So this book will help you, mom and dad, answer questions about God and about Jesus to your kids. Bag of resources, if you take the green card, we'll put this book in your hand. Um, one of my coolest stories from the day is, is the second part. Um, if you're an adult, you're gonna get a white ba uh, bag with a white card on it. If you will just fill out this white card and take it to the Connection Center, um, we will put a Bible in your hands, not just a Bible, but a study Bible, which means it's not just the words of the Bible, but words about the words of the Bible that explain it to you. So you can begin to read who Jesus is. I asked Pastor Mike today, what was your favorite moment of yesterday? And Mike said, we had a lady in her late 70s or early 80s who gave her heart to Jesus yesterday. And she got her Bible and she was walking around the atrium yesterday, hugging her Bible. 
my cool moment for this morning. My sister, who's a, a charge nurse in the OB unit um, of her nursing section is working today. Um, so she was gonna step into a room. They don't have any babies being born at this point. Um, so she said, hey, my, my brother's church having service. I'm gonna go watch it. One of the nurses said, turn it on so we can all watch it. So I watched it with four nurses who I don't think go to church, consider themselves Christians. She said most of them had never seen a service like that before. Um, and two of them asked if I could somehow get them that Bible. So will you bring me that Bible? I was like, I will bring two when I come um, next week to celebrate mom and dad's 50 year anniversary. So we'd love to put that in your hands. Baptism people, we're trusting you to be more on your own. You've already taken the hard step. In the seat pocket in front of your car is a card that says baptism card. If you will just take this and fill it out, we will connect with you next year to help you here or if you live out of town, be baptized at some place. Uh, you can check, I'd like to be baptized during the next group baptism event. That's February 4 at Journey. Or you can just say, I wanna talk to someone to learn more about being baptized. Take this card, fill it out. You can hand it to anyone who has a bag in their hand and they'll take care of it. You can put it in uh, the boxes between the doors as you exit, or you can take it to the Connection Center and we'll just follow up so that we can help you take the step God's calling you to take in 2024. Um, as you take communion, here's how we do it at Journey. Ask someone in your family to volunteer to pray and thank God for Jesus at Christmas. If no one volunteers, force the youngest family member to do it. It's just that's what they shouldn't have been last. They were, so they got to pray. So, and then whatever they say, that'll be okay. Just say amen um, and take your communion together. Um, lots of families leave their row and circle up. This entire auditorium is yours to do what you need to do. Um, make sure you get a picture at the family booth before you go. Maybe grab a cup of hot cocoa before you go. It's been our honor to have you at our church for Christmas. We'd love to invite you back on any Sunday. If you live in Kansas City, Sundays look a lot like this, but nobody dresses up. So it looked like this will be much more casual, 8, 9, 30, and 11. Um, come see us in the future. Let me pray for you, and then you can have your communion moment together. God, thank you for Jesus at Christmas. We remember not just his birth, but his death, burial, and resurrection as we think of you in this season. And Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed to your communion, and then you're dismissed from the service when you're done.